I know the uniforms. That is a disaster, right? Does anyone think that was a good thing? Those new yellow? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be an homage to the, the, the Boston Marathon, yes. but I think yeah. it, it's it's missing the mark and that it just this is that hokey Red Sox thing that they do sometimes. It's like, so we're going to put on that uniform to harken back to that moment and try and relive it. It's like, I don't really get the point. They're abysmal. And it's a straight money grab, again, from yeah. a franchise that does not need the extra money. This looks nothing like the Boston Red Sox. There are some institutions, organizations in sports that they should never really go too far away from what they are. The Lakers should be what they are. The Yankees, honestly, as much as I hate them, should be, you know, the pinstripes and, yeah. and the gray on the road. It's crap. It's just awful. Don't disrespect the marathon bombing with this ugly ass uniform, man. Really swore. That's when we know things are up. You Fed didn't want to say ass a couple of weeks ago, and you just you know what? did. What you a know moment. The problem? I'm caffeinated, I'm vaccinated, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> caffeinated and vaccinated. I love it. This is our city, and nobody's going to dictate our freedom. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Anything possible! It is SOB episode three. We're sitting here on a Wednesday night. We, being myself, Matt Wehmeyer, and my SOB tag team partners. As always, the esteemed Darwin Zook and Steve Sheely. And guys, uh, part of the beauty of this of this uh, medium of these uh, of these podcasts is that uh, sometimes it's it's difficult to figure out where to begin because. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of ground to cover. Um, and for the last, you know, what, 10, 15 minutes, we're sitting here figuring out how the hell do we start this thing? So let's turn that into how the hell we do start this thing. And what I mean by that is it's hard right now when you look at the landscape of Boston sports to, to pinpoint one team and say that's the team that has captured the collective imagination of this region, of this Boston fan base. And whereas in years past, that was never the case, whether, okay, the Patriots are dominating, the Red Sox are dominating, the Celtics, you know, the Bruins, whatever. That's the revolution. not the case right now. The revolution. Can't leave them out. Absolutely not. But right now, it's it's a different time. It is a different time in Boston sports. Instead of, uh, you know, saying, when the when is the next title going to come? It's, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it might it might be a while, whereas in the past, a while could be two, three years between any of the four teams where the rings and the parades were just rolling in. So I want to pose this to you. Is there a team right now? And as we sit here, the Celtics are hosting the Knicks at the Garden. It's a back and forth game. Last I checked, Celtics up by two or three in the third quarter. It's going to, hey, at least the Knicks aren't blowing us up by 30 this time but maybe I spoke too soon and I jinxed it. We'll see what happens in the next 45 minutes or so. But is there a team amongst the four big ones that has, that really has a stranglehold on the collective, you know, interest and imagination of the Boston sports fan base? I say, no, Darwin, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, just going back to your kind of larger point real quick with your intro in general, we spent, you know, 15 minutes figuring out where to begin and all that. But really when you think about 20 years, like you said, 20 years, it seems like every year there's been at least one team out of the four in Boston sports contending for a championship. I mean, we'd have to go back and look every year and see the conference finals in all those sports or the championship games in football, but I'd be willing to bet when you go back, 
the Patriots, we know for sure, were involved in, what, 13 conference championship games. The Celtics have been to the Eastern Conference Finals five times. The Bruins several times. The Red Sox, of course, won three titles in that span. So there's just been so many cases where we've always had one of the four teams to rely on, going all the way back really to 2001 when the Patriots won um, against the Rams in that Super Bowl. So this is the first year that I can think of really in 20 years where we don't have a team where I can look at right now and say, that's the team that pops. That's the team we should be following. That's the team that's really going to be contending that we can all get behind because as we've touched on with Brady gone and the Patriots really going downhill and the Celtics, a 500 team right now, there's no sugarcoating it. That's the way it is. So the best you have right now is the Red Sox coming off a sweep of the Rays, which was kind of <laughs> unexpected after being swept by the Orioles. But kind of. to a larger point, I don't think there's a team right now that pops off the page. So I kind of I, I abstain from the question that I can't <laughs> think of one. You know, it's funny. We, we've had such a, a great run here in the last 20 something years that Darwin even forgot a World Series championship by the Red Sox. They've won four, not three. <laughs> My fault. That's classic, though, right there. They just, they, <laughs> math is hard. Math Good is problem hard. to have, right? <laughs> no, listen. Baseball is hard. Yeah, when, <laughs> when, watch. They, when they win, <laughs> when they win so often, it's hard to keep up with how many championships they have. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. Honestly, the answer is probably by default, the Patriots, in terms of enthusiasm around Boston and the New England area right now. Uh, but that's only because football is king right now. The reason I'm saying this is insane is because baseball season just started in New England. That's a that's a like almost a week long holiday right there. Yeah. Yeah. How many times do you remember waiting for the Boston Red Sox season to start? I remember like just having cookouts in freezing cold weather in New England, just you know winter jackets and you know cooking out like hot dogs and burgers on the grill, having a few beers. And wait, watching the Red Sox on an opening day when it's 40 degrees out, right? And this year, it's, you know, it's just not the same. Yes, last year was a little bit weird because there were no fans in the stands. This year, there's limited amounts of fans in the stands. But I find myself watching the team and saying, yeah, okay, it's not really that exciting this year. And I don't know what it is. Part of it is because I've had a little bit of a rocky relationship with the team ever since they traded Mookie. And I just, I will not forgive that uh, probably ever. But the other part is, I don't. I just don't. There's not much. There's no one on this team to get really excited about. The pitching staff is, while looking okay now, you know, come July, June, uh, probably June, honestly, they are not going to look like what they look like right now. When the weather starts warming up, balls are going to be starting to fly out of Fenway, and it won't be the home team hitting. <laughs> It'll well, be, you know, top tops of innings when that occurs, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That lack of interest, Sheely, I think. I think it brings up a point, too, where it's kind of a combination of several factors. It's not just and we've talked about this and argued about it, whether it's, you know, you, you, you what you say a lot and correct me if I'm wrong, is if if the team is doing well in your market, if the Red Sox are doing great, then you'll be into it, then you'll follow it. And I've countered you in the past and said, well, there's something wrong with the game, because I don't think that that's always the case, that even people that are diehard Red Sox fans will follow it. So. I think kind of it's a perfect storm right now that's leading to the indifference towards the Red Sox and towards uh, baseball in general. We don't have to go into a whole thing about fixing baseball and all that. But the point is, is no, I Theo's think, doing that. 
<laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. He's the de facto commissioner now, it seems like. But the Red Sox right now, it's like they want to be relevant. You want to try and follow it because this is a great opportunity. Let's be honest. I mean, the Celtics are, are, are playing awful right now or, or mediocre at best. Patriots coming off a bad year. This would be a great time for the Red Sox to step up, you know, as COVID hopefully is coming to an end. Summertime, Red Sox baseball. And so far, you just don't feel that that oomph, uh, despite, you know, they're coming off a nice little series against the Rays, but there's not a lot to get behind right now. Yeah, Pedro's not walking through those doors anytime mm-hmm. soon. Big Poppy is not walking through those doors. Uh, Manny Ramirez, you know, love him or hate him. Nomar, there's just, there's no one on the team. I love you, Bogart. You know I love else? Xander I don't want to cut you out. You know who else isn't walking through that door, guys? Mark Bellhorn. <laughs> ah, well done. <laughs> they might be able to use him right now. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think he could play a, a meaningful role on the on the 2021 Red Sox. But guys, all all great points. And you know the the thing that the thing that bothers me is that I remember, and maybe this just comes with you know getting older. I don't know, but I remember you know when I was not this age, and the term. One of the terms that that bothered me and and always was something that I swore I would never become, and it's even hard for me to say right now, fair weather fan. I hated that term. I hated when it was tossed around. You know, it's like it was like being it was like blasphemous to be accused of being a fair weather fan. Is that what we've become? I mean, I, I have to put that out there because. You know, again, and it might be a thing where your perspective is different when you're younger and when circumstances are different. You know, it's like, okay, you're with this team thick through thick and thin, good and bad, wins and losses, no matter what. That is your team. And yet we sit here and say, well, the oomph isn't there. And all this is true. All this is true. They've done things to alienate the fan base. And Chile, of course, you bring up example, you know, number one, a one, a whatever trading Mookie bets it did it alienated and and just you know put off so many fans and that was inexcusable but at the same time you know can you still apply a fair weather fan moniker to to what is happening to at least a portion of the Red Sox fan base you know because of some of the things that have happened with this team off the field I, I'm truly conflicted about this I think you absolutely can. I mean, starting back in 2000, after 2004, the pink hats started marching in, right? And, you know, mm. I, from that, that changed, that changed the identity of the Red Sox Nation. Uh, we weren't the lovable losers anymore. We were the winners. We didn't know how to react to that. And I'm not saying we, because no one on this call, I, I don't think was like that too much. Uh, <laughs> but I'm talking about the general, the general uh, fan base came, became a little apathetic, like we were talking about before. They did win four championships over the past... Uh, I don't know. I'm not good at math either. 17, <laughs> 16 years. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's easier to get behind a team who hasn't won, I think, and, and root for something that you haven't experienced before than it is going down, down that road again. I just think it's not, it's not necessarily the fact that they're becoming, we're becoming fair weather. Now I think I am so frustrated that, and I feel betrayed more than anything else. I feel betrayed by the front office and the ownership, more ownership than front office, honestly. The fact that they're so worried about getting under the, the, the cap and making money and, and building out their, their profit margins, that's not what baseball is about. I mean, John Henry is one of the wealthiest people in the entire country, and he's worried about, me. oh, well, you know, I only made $700 million last year, not $710 million, so I can't afford 
to pay this player. You Poor know what? Guy. Screw that. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so done with it. I'm so fed up. So honestly, I think that's where my angst is becoming is coming from. I, yeah, I, I'll watch a loser as long as I can get behind the players and the team and feel like the player, the, the ownership and the management is actually trying to put a winner out when they're trying to say, no, nah, you know, we can wait a couple of years because we just want to make sure our, our revenue streams get back up and running. You know what? I got two words for you. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I connect that to the players. <laughs> I connect that to the players as well. And the choices management makes and bring in bringing in what players and which ones are uh, sent out the door. Like you mentioned, Mookie bets to me, as I've gotten older, it can't just be rooting for the laundry. And so the anger you have, Shilly, for the, for the Red Sox management, I have management. I have, for the Patriots uh, in the last couple of years, uh, it's similar and different in, in some ways, but you know, you, when you attach to a player for a long time and it seems reasonable to keep that player there and that player is still performing at a high level and you have the money to pay that player, whatever it is as a fan, you expect that player or players to stick with that organization. And that's what you're rooting for. I think the difference there to me is I never once questioned whether Bill Belichick was actively trying to win or not. I always had that. Even last year when they went the road, they did. And obviously losing Tom Brady means that you're probably going to take some, you take one on the chin there. Right. I never doubted the fact that he was trying to put a winner on the team. He was doing what he thought was in the best interest of the team and the future of the organization. I, I don't think that's the case about the Red Sox right now. You don't trade away Mookie Betts, who was, I, I forget at the time, if he was 25 or whatever he was when they, uh, when they traded him away. That's a completely different scenario to me. I understand the, the comparison you're making. It's just, it's, it's a little bit apples and oranges to me because of the fact that <laughs> Mookie was 20 years younger. Well, I'm just talking about attachment to a team. And I would say absolutely Bill Belichick has not done the best thing to put a. We don't have to go to Patriots, but I would absolutely say in the last several years, he has not done along with Robert Kraft, the best to keep a winner on the field. hundred percent. No, uh, they have not spent the money. They last year, they were the second, uh, second least spending team out of everyone in the league. Uh, and going back a couple of years, that's been the case. So I would say that in terms of spending money, that's been a real problem with both the Red Sox and the Patriots and making those moves, sticking with the Red Sox though, you know, this is our Red Sox preview in a way here episode. I've always known, for example, the starting pitchers, you know, even when I didn't follow the Red Sox at the highest level in the last several years, I would know the front end of the rotation. John Wasden. <laughs> way, way back. back. Was John Wasden was like the fifth start. You would know the first two or three guys. Now, I know Chris Sale is out. He seems like he's been out for years now at this point. Eduardo Rodriguez had the COVID issue. But, you know, when Nathan Evaldi, as good as he was in the postseason a couple of years ago, when he's your main guy and your first starter, that's a huge issue. To me, the pitching staff is where it begins in terms of following the team and getting behind the team um, from, from a winning perspective. And it also translates to on the field. You have to have good starting pitching to win. And I feel like the direction of the Red Sox has followed baseball in this this money ball and you know six relievers and the opener and all this crap that to me is not is not real baseball and so as someone who's a fan of the Red Sox and a fan of the game if you're losing me as a fan then what about someone who's below me as a fan you're going to lose a lot more people and to me that's because of this analytics view that the Red Sox have adopted as much as any team in the league in terms of following that analytics and opener and, and, and all those you know 
uh, spin rate and all that crap. And to me, that's really turned the Red Sox, not just baseball, turned the Red Sox into sometimes an unwatchable product. You raise a good point there. Can can we actually name the starting rotation of the Red Sox right now? Like, without looking at a roster, it's it's. You know, I could probably do it, but it's going to take a minute for me to think. I, all I know is that well, the Richards dude the other day. He, he, oh, terrible. He pitched like two innings, and then after the game, he he says, oh, I, threw, I threw some pretty good pitches out there. I feel like it just didn't work out for me. And, He's getting paid $10 million a year. What a joke. And, Darwin, do you know what the main appeal was for the Red Sox to get Garrett Richards? You just Something mentioned with the spin rate. Spin, spin rate. rate, yes. Yeah. Spin rate. Not ERA. Not any peripheral stats. Spin rate. That was it. And he probably has a good spin rate, but he's throwing freaking Frisbees up there. Right. It's spinning. It's spinning like a Frisbee, and they're belting it out of the yard. Yeah, and, I mean, you bring up a good point. You both bring up good points, as always. That's why we're the Sons of Bellhorn. But um, there just comes, like, an oversaturation point, don't you think, where it's like, okay. And, look, I'm a, I'm a self-professed nerd. I, I kind of enjoy – some of the nerdiness and the, and the nerdy numbers of baseball, because it does provide some more depth and insight into the game, which we didn't have before. I'm cool with that. But when it gets to a point where it is completely dictating the way the game is played and the way that rosters are constructed, then I think it becomes an issue. And look, even before analytics, baseball was having enough of a problem, you know, attracting fans and keeping fans engaged that they already had. So that was an issue before analytics came, and now you're going to try to appeal to a younger generation by incorporating incorporating more analytics. I, I just – I don't get it. Like, I know that MLB is not suffering from a revenue or money standpoint, but in terms of attracting new fans, like, look, I got a six-year-old. Is he interested in baseball? Eh, kind of. But I, I don't see that, that passion from him that you might see from a six-year-old 20, 25 years ago, and all they wanted to do was run out to the backyard and hit the ball and throw the ball and join their peewee team, their Little League team. I don't see that now, and, you know, I, I think it's it's not something that keeps Rob Manfred up at night, but there's going to come a point where if you're not attracting new fans and, and you're not growing your game, then then what? You know, it's, it's like at some point viewership's going to go down interest is going to go down and then you know amongst the four major sports you're going to be lagging behind the other three Sheila you said it at the top football is king basketball is not far behind you know hockey will always be a niche sport but they got their passionate following wouldn't surprise me in the least if at some point and by some point I mean maybe a couple decades from now but baseball is a number four sport in this country and I think that we're a little closer to that than a lot of people might realize yeah, I, I absolutely think you're right. I think soccer is something to even watch, too, in terms of the popularity. But but it, the problem I have with baseball in regular season in NBA and NHL as well is, is the lack of urgency. Now, the issue in football is every week's important, right? That That's important because every game matters in terms of getting into the postseason. There's only 16 or now 17 of them. In basketball and, and hockey, there's 82. This year, there's 72, which I think is great. A few games less. It just takes on more urgency. Baseball, yeah. to me, and I know this is kind of a repetitive argument, and I'm not trying to say take away 162 or make it 130 or whatever it is, but there to me, there has to be a way – of more innovative thinking within the sport to have more games that matter early on in the season. I don't know what necessarily how to do that, whether to have mini series tournaments, best of fives, where you get some type of advantage. But all I know is that that one game playoff that happens in October for the wild card teams, early October, I tune in for those and I don't care who's playing. 
that creates an urgency. I love those one game playoffs. And I just think there has to be a way you want fans to tune in, make it urgent. You win or something happens. If you lose, (laughs) you need to find a way to make it more exciting during the regular season. Uh, and, and maybe then analytics won't matter as much because there's more on the line in the particular series. Maybe if you play in the division, it's worth more. If you, if you win the series against the Yankees, you get an extra win. If you play three games, the rubber game matters more. I don't I'm know. With that. I'm just throwing something out there. But to me, the lack of urgency is most um, exemplified in baseball than any other sport, having no urgency in the regular season. Yeah, especially in a game without a clock, right? So it's, it's you know, games could last seven hours and it could be a nine-inning game, especially if it's between the Red Sox and Yankees from, from the last 10 years. Um, oh, Lord. You know, I, I, I think, I do honestly think that baseball is in a little bit of a hard, between a rock and a hard place. They, uh, they have fans that are diehards that have been with them forever. With, if you change anything, they're going to freak out and, you know, cause a ruckus and, and, and baseball doesn't need that headache. But at the same point, they do need to change. You need to adapt. Maybe you do need to let the, let go of those fans and, and try new things. With that in mind, what do you guys think of these? some of the things that they are doing? In the minor leagues, they're, they're going with pitch clocks. Love uh, that. In the extra innings right now in baseball, they're starting with a man on second. We saw that, um, Love that. the other day with the, the Red Sox beating the Rays in, in extra innings. Uh, they came back three times. They actually came back from three different deficits yeah. in uh, the ninth and then extra innings as well. What, so Darwin, you're on record. You just said you loved it. Hit me. Yeah, no, I love those ideas. I love those adjustments that they're trying in the minor leagues. Bring it up. Let's try it in the majors. Let's do more pitch clocks. And I know it pisses off the players. And you know what? Screw them at this point. They're making enough money. If they, they can get the ball and pitch a little faster. I absolutely would be more entertained and more prone to watch a game where I see the pitcher getting the ball and firing it right away. Getting the ball, get the sign, throw the pitch. None of this walking around the mound stuff. Well, how far are you willing to go with that? So, like, there's been proposals out there saying, you know, instead of extra innings, you just have a home run derby in extra innings instead to decide a game. Are you willing to go down that far? Mm. No, not yet. I like the the man on second rule. I really do like I that. I think the Red Sox Rays game that went what 12, 12 innings yesterday. 12, that was yep. that was an aberration, and that a game goes twelve innings because, I mean, it turned out to be kind of a great story. The Red Sox come back three different times. That was kind of cool the how that played out. So if that's the exception to the rule where a game goes a little longer, fine. As long as you're not having games and extra innings generally going four or five hours. So the man on second, I really like that idea. I also don't like the shift crap. That's gotten worse than ever. Uh, and that and now they're encouraging people, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, to just smash it over the shift instead of trying to just, you know, play the game and 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 then make them adjust with the shift. They say, oh, well, just smash it over. So I hate the shift stuff. I'd, I'd love to see more people have to stay in their positions. I don't know how you would uh, orchestrate that. What about but... like an electric shock collar, like a dog? So... <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. I Long love overdue. That. Long overdue. Waymire, where are, you, where are you on this? I like the man on second. And I've done a 180 on that because when it was first introduced and proposed, I was like, come on, really? Like, this is like. Was this Little League? Yeah, no, I mean, I not even. It was just, it was way too gimmicky. It was going down the road of the of the shootout and the NHL, which for the record, I do like. I just didn't want baseball to follow their lead. But now that they kind of have, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, who wants to sit and watch a 15, 16, 17 inning game? I don't. If it's Especially the in the regular season. Yes, yes, ab- absolutely. Asterisk on that. If it's the postseason, great theater, that's one thing. If it's game... 47 of the regular season not a good thing so 
I do like how they kind of expedite a conclusion here uh, with putting the guy in second. I do have a question, though, and this is this is something I, I, I should have and could have looked up at any point in the last, I don't know, a year and a half. But what happens to a pitcher if he's the one that gives up an RBI hit in extra innings with, where the man is placed on second? Does he get a run charge to him? Is that a full-blown run? Does that affect his ERA? I genuinely don't know, and I'm genuinely curious. I really don't know. It should be like a half a sack in the NFL. Yeah. If you, if you, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that either. Um, I don't know. Well, I am the baseball expert in the group, yes. so let me Speak weigh in on that. Come on. Just kidding. No, I'm not going to weigh in on that. I Yeah, charge him the run. Screw him. Yeah. You should get charge him the run. He's still allowed it. I'm fair. I'm fairly certain the pitcher still gets charged with it. You, you know, Good. like like Zook said, he, he let in the run. It's yeah. on him. Yeah. So you give up a seeing eye single, a run scores, and get hit with a run on your ERA. Seems fair. No, you know, but yeah. the larger point is it's entertaining. It's more entertaining than beginning every inning clean like you would the previous nine innings. It, you know, something has to be done. And and Steve, you brought up, you know, the, the purists are going to be turned off by it. And they have been by and large. But like we're look, we're living in different times. You know, entertainment at some point has to take precedence over the purity of the game and and playing the game the way it's been played for a century. That's just not the way it goes anymore. It's a different world we're living in. And I applaud baseball, at least for this much by taking that step by, you know, not doing away with the runner on second rule, which they implemented last year in the effed up 60 game season. And they decided to keep it. Now I wish that they would expand that a little bit. I want to get your guys thoughts on this universal DH. Yes or no. I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I give that a thumbs up. Absolutely. I, I do. I do like some of the strategy old school and the, and the double switch in the NL, but I, I like the DH. Uh, I'll put a, a, a caveat with I like the DH if the shift doesn't become a huge issue issue where I, I like the shift now to go away to some extent. And I know it's been there forever, but it's just the idea of having another hitter then, you know, usually a DH is a guy that you put there because he's a good hitter on your team. So the other team is going to have all their analytics and they're going to have all their shifts on for those DHs. And I would just rather everyone have to stay in a certain area uh, as opposed to just having another DH who's going to strike out or hit a home run every time. I'd rather if you're going to have a DH still have some type of strategy involved in the game where it's not just, you know, put in, uh, you know, put in another guy who can hit the ball and then we'll just make our shift towards it. Let me, can I ask you guys one thing though? It, we away. talked generally with baseball, what we could do to fix it or whatever, or different ways and ways that they're trying to fix it and make it better. But with the Red Sox specifically, what would get you guys entertained and more into this season right now? What we're six games in they're three and three, they've been swept down. What player, what, aspect of the red Mookie. Sox would get you guys who are diehard fans <laughs> back into the team more what would that take man mookie and red would look pretty good right now yeah, no but that's gone shield you got move on my friend I so can't. what else man, is there you won't let go of the shift why should i let go of mookie <laughs> i'm just saying you love the game you love the red Sox. you do you still do i can see it burning in you what would it take right now is it somehow sale coming back or some pitcher stepping up i'm just i'm uh, i'm curious what that would be I don't know. I, I think for me, like it's for me, it's it's a long term process. I don't know if there's something in this season currently that could pique my interest to like 2003, 2004 levels. No, no, not that level. But right, right. Yeah. But but I think like for me, 
I want to see like, you know, a long-term development of the farm system and guys like Jaron Duran, Jason Groom, are they the real deal? Are, you know, are they going to get cups of coffee in September? I don't know, but I would like to see some progress in the minor leagues. That was, you know, the top task and priority when Haim Bloom was hired, you know, rebuild the farm system that was stripped bare to help get that parade in 2018, which I'm fine with, but now there's a process of rebuilding. And I just, I want to see some steps taken in that direction at the major league level this year. For me, it's just, it's little things like, you know, JD's raking. That's cool. Uh, you know, maybe Evaldi surprises some people. Maybe Nick Pavetta is a guy we end up stealing from the Phillies and the Brandon Workman deal. It's little things like that. Maybe, you know, do we, do we play spoiler for some of the true contenders in the East? That would be cool. So for me, it's just, you know, am I expecting a 95 win season and we, we go into the playoffs and surprise everybody? No, but it, for me, it's just, it's, it's the little morsels and nuggets that could hopefully build to something bigger in the future. I think you just hit the nail on the head there. Is, is it, so for me, the, the biggest thing that I was so excited about the Red Sox over the last decade was the fact that they were starting these players out young, developing them, bringing them up through the organization. You had the Mookies, you had Benintendi, you had Christian Vasquez, uh, Bogarts, uh, all these different players, right? And they're just, they're just developing. <laughs> they didn't develop any pitchers homegrown, yeah. but they did develop a lot of position players. And it was really, really fun to, to watch them. I mean, I wasn't watching them every day in the minors, don't get me wrong. But following them in the minors, seeing like, oh, God, Mookie just went four for five in the minors. He just hit, you know, uh, he's got a 17-game hit streak. I, I wonder what he's going to be when he gets to the majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, all, you get that reward. You get that paid off. And that's what the best thing to me about baseball is. It's a long-term commitment to the, to the team. Uh, and you really get to see the fruits of that, that labor pull off. There's just nothing there right now. The farm system is terrible. They're not signing any players internationally that are making any headway. They're still not developing any pitching. Uh, you know, I see, I keep seeing it and it's in my head. I can't get it out, but I see Bobby Delbeck. I see B Delbeck every time in, in the box score. And all I think is Brian, because my head is going back to Brian Dabak. Oh, the Dauber. Oh, nice. Love yeah. the Dauber. So it takes a little while. These are the players. Like if, if he was as good as he was kind of hyped to be when he was in the minors, there wouldn't be any confusion in my head about Bobby Dalbeck. I mean, Brian Dalbeck tried to fight the whole Rays team one, one game. That was awesome. <laughs> I remember well, that <laughs> the Rays, the Rays had it coming. I mean, they, they, they devil Rays, the devil Rays. Yeah. yeah. They ruined Pedro's no hitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, no, I, I, Sheila, that's a great point. I think you guys say with the farm system and following guys over a period of time, it just kind of goes back to our original point of like, you can't just always, I mean, you could root for the colors of the uniform and root oh. because it's the Red Sox, but it may, it's a lot better, in, except the new uniforms. I know we'll get yeah. to that in a second, but <laughs> yeah. you want to root for guys that you followed for and seen them come up through the system. That's why, to me, what's going to get me more attached is seeing Devers and Bogarts and those guys that I've known for a while kind of maybe help lead this team in a David versus Goliath situation and maybe give the Yankees a little bit of a run for their money this year because that opportunity is there. The Yankees are the heavy favorites in the division. So if the Red Sox, led by these guys that have you know, been there, a few of them, Bogarts, Devers, even Vasquez and Valdi, a holdover from the World Series team. If those guys can step up, then maybe there could be some entertainment still this summer. And I know the uniforms, that is a disaster, right? Does anyone think that was a good thing? Those new yellow, Matt, you can describe it better. Oh, man. Uh, The man behind the curtain, our producer, Tim McMaster, has screen shared 
the new uni that is going to be unveiled uh, for Patriots Day weekend. Uh, completely blue and yellow. And I think the joke we made in our text thread was, hey, the, the Red Sox are paying tribute to the Bruins. And that's that's a great thing. The Bruins are the crosstown hockey team. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Not those Bruins. The UCLA Bruins. Because that, that's what these uniforms look like. Especially with the, the blue powder B. Uh, yeah. It's got a very UCLA look to it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be an homage to the, the, Mar- the Boston Marathon, yes. but I think yeah. it, it's it's missing the mark and that it's just – I know the Red Sox team that won the World Series that year after the tragedy of the Boston Marathon uh, bombing and everything that happened there. That, w- that was amazing. That was an amazing accomplishment by that group of Red Sox players. I, I really love that team and what they did, but it's just like – this is that hokey Red Sox thing that they do sometimes. It's like, so we're going to put on that uniform to harken back to that moment and try and relive it. It's like, I don't really get the point. They already had a uniform to go back to that moment. If they really want to honor it, they had their home uniforms that said Boston on it. And you know what? They were actually in the Red Sox color system. Shocking, right? This is insane. The font is different. The colors are different. And, And honestly, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're not sure what we're talking about, Go Google the Boston Marathon Red Sox jerseys. They're abysmal. And it's a straight money grab, again, from yeah. a franchise that does not need the extra money. You know, they can go with the, with the all-blue jerseys on Fridays when they're on the road. They can go with the all-red jerseys when they're on, on Fridays on the, when they're at home. I, this is not that. It, this looks nothing like the Boston Red Sox. There are some institutions, some, Reds, some uh, um, organizations in sports that they should never really go too far away from what they are. The Lakers should be what they are. The Yankees, honestly, as much as I hate them, should be, you know, the pinstripes and, yeah. and the gray on the road. I agree. This is this is Tampa Bay. This is Seattle. This is this is what franchises like they what it's crap. It's just awful. And they can say all they want that they're honoring the marathon. It's not honoring the marathon, man. This is just a straight money grab. Don't disrespect the marathon bombing with this ugly ass uniform man really swore that's when we know things are up you I'm didn't want to say ass a couple of weeks ago and you, you just know what? did what you a know moment the problem i'm caffeinated i'm vaccinated i'm ready to go <laughs> caffeinated <laughs> and vaccinated i love it that sounds like a slogan right there caffeinated <laughs> and vaccinated let's go oh, man i love it yeah um i can't disagree with with any of it um it's just it's it's a little much it's a little much visually and I would have been perfectly content with, you know, okay, you keep the traditional Red Sox uniforms. If you want to wear a, you know, something on your sleeve or on some part of the uniform that has the marathon colors of the yellow and the powder blue, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, like I remember a couple years ago, this is, this is a kind of a stark departure, but Maryland uh, football. Do you guys remember this? Oh, like the they, Terps, yeah. Yes, with with the the Maryland state flag. You know, Randy Etzel was the uh, former coach of UConn football when it went down to Maryland. So I know exactly the story you're about to talk. Yeah, about. yeah, and they they had like the 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 flag logo emblazoned on their shoulder pads, I believe, and it was it was a very, I mean, it was a, a huge departure from the traditional uh, Terp uniforms, and and they got called out on social media for, oh my God, that's ugly, that's terrible. I didn't really see it that way because it didn't dominate the entire uniform. It was a a major part of the uniform, granted, but it wasn't the entire thing. I think if the Red Sox had gone 
you know, halfway, not even halfway, and done something with the yellow and blue, I would have been fine with it. What about you guys? Yeah, well, less yeah. is more. Yeah, well, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like we're trying to bring up ways to get baseball more exciting and the team more relevant, and this is what the Red Sox brass do to get more relevant, change yeah. the uniform who need, to who yellow. Who needs a pitcher? Who needs a right. pitcher when you have yellow flags yeah. or to yellow me, it's shirt? just it's missing the mark. A hundred percent of what's going to excite people. I don't even think the pink hats will like it, to be honest, because it doesn't even when you look at it, you don't even think Red Sox. And I, unless someone's watching that particular game or that weekend, they're going to see that around and be like, what the hell is this? That's not a Red Sox uniform. It just doesn't it doesn't relate. It doesn't bring excitement and, it, and it's missing the mark of how to bring more people in. Yeah, missing the mark. That's a common common refrain from the Red Sox over the last couple of years. Yeah, in, in uh, more ways than one. And so and are their Steve, pitchers. <laughs> boom. Uh, Steve, you brought up a good point, too, where, you know, you said as, as much as you hate to have these words come out of your mouth, and that would go for any one of us, you know, the Yankee. W- would the Yankees do this? Hell no, no. No. Would the Lakers, would the Celtics, would the Dodgers? I'm bringing up all iconic franchises here, and at least before – this whole thing with the new unis, I thought that the Red Sox consider themselves amongst the elite, amongst the iconic franchises in all professional sports. But if they truly think that, then I think that there's no way in hell they consider making such a radical change to their uniform. Because like you said, again, the Tampa Bays and the Seattles and the Milwaukee's of the world, this is fine for them because they're not the Red Sox. But maybe the Red Sox don't think they're the Red Sox. This is this is the part that really bothers me. If you truly think that you're amongst the upper crust and you're a blue blood of professional sports, then this is something that's not even considered. And to and to look at the fact that it not only was considered but implemented tells me that maybe the Red Sox view of themselves isn't what we think the Red Sox view of themselves should be. And that's the problem I have with it. Well, with some of the moves they've been making, maybe they should be wearing brown jerseys instead. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a disconnect just to wrap, wrap up that whole uniform. I, I think there's a disconnect between Red Sox uh, ownership and management and what fans are seeking in terms of thirst and, and rooting interest. And they think that throwing out a uniform or doing some gimmicky thing at Fenway is going to bring fans back. And that's not really it. It's, it's keeping guys like Moogie Betts around. It's bringing up the farm system. It's doing things that make the product on the field better. And that'll help fans continue to be engaged and get more engaged, not marathon uniforms. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm engaged in uh, right now as we, you know, put a bow tie on the Red Sox discussion with a minute 20 to go at the TD Garden. The Celtics have a slim, very slim one point lead over the New York Knickerbockers, 91 to 90. Let's let's kind of, you know, give the live play by play here. Oh, Jalen Brown, 31 points. We're up by three under a minute to play. So this is one of those games. I, I keep going back to a couple months ago when the Knicks beat them by 30 at the garden for me Which that garden? was the low point that was the most disgusted i have felt with the celtics team all year if there's something i'm missing guys please let me know but for me i i can't get past losing to the knicks the knicks i know they're not the woeful embarrassing knicks of the past two decades they're a respectable team i respect the hell out of tom thibodeau as any celtics fan should for what he did to the 08 champs defensively but come on. Well, the, yeah, still you, the Knicks. But you hit it on the head, though, Matt. The Knicks actually, they they play together. 
and they're still the Knicks, but they play together. The Celtics yeah. have two all-stars and, and we don't need to have Sheely and I go back and forth about Brad Stevens. Just the general point is they play together. The Knicks do the Celtics do not play together as a team. Now, maybe they squeak this one out and maybe there's still time left in the season. It's a long season and they could, if they sneak into the four or five position, maybe they can show something in the playoffs, but they don't play together. This Celtics team at all yet. The roster is pretty similar to a team that, was within one or two games, really, of going to the NBA Finals last year. You can argue about whether there were some problems with that team and and some blowups or whatever, but the bottom line is they were right there with a chance to go to the NBA Finals last year with almost the same team because Gordon Hayward was hurt, really, for a majority of that season, was kind of a non-factor in the playoffs for the most part, even when he came back. So what has changed between the Celtics last year and this year when the roster, in a lot of ways, is pretty similar overall the Knicks play together Thibodeau has them playing together with far inferior talent than the Celtics have yeah I I I don't have any quibble with what you just said they don't play together as as, as well as the Knicks do uh the other thing you know the other thing I was thinking about the other day was you know who I miss and I can't believe I'm going to say this is Marcus Morris because I really was not yeah. a big fan of Marcus Morris when he was on the Celtics because yeah. he would stop the flow of the offense you, you know you pass him the ball at the top of the key and that ball staying there for a good six seven seconds until he decides to you know throw it off or take a terrible 30-foot shot uh, but he brought a toughness and and I don't want to say this too loud because Marcus Smart might hear me and whoop my ass but <laughs> he brought a toughness that they're sorely, sorely lacking right now. And maybe it's just the fact that Marcus Smart is only one person and, right. and he can only do so much. Also, he's been hurt over the last month or so and, and is just now getting back into the shape that he was pre-injury. So maybe maybe that's part of it as well. He just can't back it up because he's not he wasn't moving as well. Hopefully that starts to change because he looks like he's moving a little bit better lately. Uh, I don't know, man. They're, they, they're, I don't want to call them soft. I'm not gonna not, not gonna call them Charmin Softs, but uh, they. I they, think you can. They're they're the they're the Softs. Right? Yeah, I I think I think they are. I mean, the proof is there. It's hard to sugarcoat it when you've been we've been watching it all year, and they just they wilt under pressure late in these games. Now I, I don't have it up on my screen, so maybe they pull this one out. But I can think of so many cases in the fourth quarter. They've been up two, four, six, or down two, four, six, and it's like once it starts going the other way. There's no coming back from it. There's no resiliency and toughness isn't always going. Say again, the body language starts falling apart. Yeah, absolutely. Body language starts going and it's like you don't have to hammer someone or commit some hard foul. You can do that sometimes. That's part of toughness. But toughness really is, oh, the chips are down. They're making a run. We're down four now with three minutes left. Let's step up. Let's move the ball. Let's get a defensive stop. Let's really buckle down. And I just. I don't see that from this team and, and you know, they have two all-stars. So that's where my head go. That that's where I go. I go to Tatum and Brown. Cause that's what I see. And then I go to the coach who's not motivating. That's just the order of what I do when I look at a team and see what's not working. Now there's other factors, the bench isn't as strong, whatever, but Hey, you got two all-stars. You should be better than 25 and 25. You got two good all-stars. A lot of teams would love to have Tatum and Brown. Yeah, it's, it's a mental toughness, it's, to, to your point. It's a mental toughness that they're lacking right now. It's, it's a swagger. They don't, they don't have that swagger. Kemba is, has been a great player in his career. He's obviously uh, going through a little bit of injury issues in the last couple of years, let's put it mildly. He's not moving as well. He's certainly not hitting shots. By the way, I can't, I've never seen a better shooter 
who is worse at hitting a spot up three than Kemba Walker. He hits them in transition. He hits them coming off screens. If he gets a spot up three, I don't know the last one he's hit. I'd have to look at advanced metrics for that, but I... He know. needs to do that dribble move to get himself in a rhythm, that step back and that like herky jerky movement. Maybe that's it. Maybe they'll pass him the ball. He'll be open by 13 feet. He'll just do a little <laughs> right. dribble drive. Harlem Globetrotter style. There you go. Yeah. There you go. No, I mean, you know what they also miss too? Kemba Walker. And I know that there's not many left in the league. It just, it's in my head right now because he was just traded to the Clippers and he's kind of a Celtics legend is Rajon Rondo. The Celtics don't have a true point guard. And I know a lot of teams don't and they're just fine, but it seems like with Tatum and Brown, boy, they could use a real leader point guard that moves the ball. Kemba Walker is just more of like a score. I like Kemba Walker. I like his personality. He's a, he's a tough guy. I like him, but he's more of a scorer. They really need a point guard who can say, and Rondo, we know he's such a leader. He comes down. He says, you're coming off this screen. Circle around. I want you here. I want you over there. Let's execute this play. They don't have anyone that really does that. Yeah, especially the playoffs. Playoff Rondo comes out, and that's Absolutely. it. Oh, man. We all love playoff Rondo, no matter what team he's playing for. Well, maybe not the Lakers, but by and large. And he, that was big last year with the Lakers. It yeah. was huge. Yeah, he was like was their huge. third best player. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was such a, an integral part of that title team. I mean, obviously, LeBron AD, fine, great. But but to have that third guy who's been there, done that, and is was 12 years removed uh, from a title, his first title, uh, that that was big for them. Is Rondo – the only player to win with the Celtics and the Lakers. Did he set that mark last year? Or is there someone I'm missing? I think so. I believe I read that. I'll have to double check that, but I believe so. I believe he's the only player to do with the Celtics and Lakers. Yep. Yeah. Quite, I mean, quite, I'm quite just going to ignore. I'm going to ignore the fact that he won with the Lakers. It didn't happen. It was, it was a pandemic shortened <laughs> season. Yeah. It doesn't count. It was a bubble. It was a bubble, <laughs> bubble title. I'm Those fascinated to see what he does with not to turn, turn this into an LA podcast, but, but I'm fascinated <laughs> to see what he does with the Clippers. Cause Paul George clearly isn't a leader. Kawhi Leonard is, but he's so quiet. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see what Rondo does for that team. Not now, but in like two months from now in the playoffs. Well, yeah. I think that, I think the Clippers honestly have a lot in common with the Celtics and the fact that there's a lack of leadership at the top and Kawhi, yeah. obviously he's, he's, he's Kawhi. He's won championships in, and he's earned his reputation, but he's not the vocal guy. He's not going to call people out and, and lead that way. Paul George, Paul George thinks he's somebody he's not. He's, he's claiming he's a top three, top five Ugh. guy in the league. And he's, I don't know, top 15, top 20, no. maybe, but that's about it. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Guy, you know? Exactly. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what Rondo does to that team. Cause he is going to bring something that the, the Celtics are missing. The Clippers are missing that as well. If hey, you had Rondo with this Celtics team, don't you think that, they would vastly improve right now. I really do. I think Tatum and Brown will get the ball in it, spots where they don't have to go one They would get worse. That's who's their closing? Sure. Who's their closing five if Rondo's on the team? Is he is he in there instead right. of Kemba? Yeah, possibly is he playing alongside maybe, of him. Maybe. Maybe they go yeah. super small and they have Kemba, Rondo, Jalen, Tatum. I don't know. Time I Lord. guess you throw Time Lord in there too, right? Yeah, yeah and he's smart or Kemba, depending on the situation in the game. Yeah. But, but I mean, that would be interesting. But obviously, it's a pipe dream at this point. But someone has to step up and kind of run that offense more because it seems I, I don't know what they're trying to do on offense half the time. It just looks so herky jerky with no rhythm uh, and it's kind too, of a take turn one on one thing. Yeah, it's too, way too much ISO. Like, I get it. You've got t- talented players in ISO situations, but. When the other team knows it's coming, I don't, I don't care who you give the ball to. That when the offense stagnates, that's not the way to run your, you know, the, your offense in the last six minutes of regulation. Now it appears 
that the Celtics have done a much better job in tonight's fourth quarter because six seconds left. Celtics are going to inbound. They're up by three. They were up six. Uh, Alfred Payton just buried a long three to cut it to three. So the Celtics called timeout. So they just fouled. Not sure who they fouled. I've got the thing up on NBA.com. That's the best I can do right now. But on one hand, it you know, it, it's going to be nice if we wrap this up and put away the Knicks and get back to 500. On the other hand, I still say to myself, we are struggling at home to beat the New York Knicks. I know it's a back-to-back. I know we got embeated last night by a far superior Philly team, and back-to-backs are always tough, but but I still can't get past that. Ugh, you know, like, this should not be a struggle against a team like the New York Knicks. If we're playing the Bucks, if we're playing the Raptors, if we're playing the Sixers again, that's one thing. But so Tatum hit two free throws. I think it's over. Stranger things have happened. But uh, yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, sorry, to interrupt. Matt, isn't it amazing, too, when you look at the – you mentioned the Sixers, and I know we got to wrap up soon, but when you look at the Sixers, their roster did not change that much from a team that was swept out of the playoffs. I know oh, Simmons man. wasn't playing, but a team that was oh, swept man. out of the playoffs hasn't changed a lot. Oh, they just changed coaches. Yeah, and look where coming. they are now. Look where they are now. Hey, proof's in the pudding. That Sixers team, even with when Ben Simmons was playing they last the year, they were bad. That Sixers team was a joke last year. Now they're the cream of the crop and they destroyed the Celtics the other night and they're on their way. It looks like to uh, match up with, uh, with the nets in the Eastern conference finals. So you see just a little subtle change in what can happen when you change coaches. I, I will say there's a hell of a difference between Brett Brown and Brad Stevens. There's a, you know, Brett Brown to doc rivers is a, is a major, major upgrade. Yeah. Uh, and, and, penthouse. and we, and we keep saying, That's what I, I'm saying. I, I keep saying this over and over again, is that if you're going to replace Brad Stevens, who are you going to replace him with? Um, Hey, I do want to say one thing. Cause I wanted to say it last week. Cause I liked him a lot as a Celtic. Uh, you know who I'm going to miss is Daniel Tice. I like I yes. like that guy a lot. He, he Tice, was asked Tice, to do, he was asked to do a lot more than he was actually capable of doing. He should not have been a starting five. Um, he's undersized, but he brings the hustle. You know yeah, I just wanted him as a sixth or seventh guy coming off the bench. I think he could be, he could play for a championship team. He just, he was fighting off a little bit more than he could chew. Yeah, he's playing well with Chicago right now, too. I, I, I second that. I'm going to miss him. He had a highlight reel alley oop dunk in his first game, I think. Did you guys see that? Yes. Yeah, that was big. very impressive. Guys, episode three in the books. A couple of notes before we go Celtics 101, Knicks 99. Back to 500, baby. Nice. Just championship like the Red is Sox, near. Hottest team in baseball, three and three. And I want to give credit where credit's due. I, I applauded uh, our producer, Tim McMaster, for the screen share the other uh, about 20 minutes ago. No, that was all Steve Sheely, baby. Well done, and sir. Tim Coming off the top rope. <laughs> so I want to give credit where credit's due. Credit to all of you out there in Sons of Bellhorn land for tuning in. We love you. We appreciate you. And we invite you back next week for episode four for Darwin Zook, for Steve Sheely, producer Tim McMaster, and Ros Guevara. I'm Matt Wehmeyer. Bye now.